Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hardis, and today we are back to our regularly scheduled programming, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the 32 for 32 series, but individual team previews are behind us. Maybe we'll get back uh, before the season or something like that. But for now, we are straight into NFL free agency. Extremely excited. Again, I hope you enjoyed the previous 32 days of content, but now we are moving forward back and looking at the league as a whole and trying to get some fantasy-friendly takeaways ahead of what should be a week filled of plenty of player movement. So have a very special guest on today who has not been with me for a long 32 days on this podcast. He is none other than Andrew Erickson. Andrew, we are coming on Daylight Savings Day. It's also Pi Day, March 14th. And if you didn't know, it's Dry Shampoo Day, Learn About Butterflies Day, and Save a Spider Day. So happy all of those days to you, my friend. Yeah, man. Unfortunately, it's also the the one-year anniversary of the, the XFL's cancellation. Oh. And that's that's the saddest part about it. But all those other accolades, Pi Day, we'll, we'll go with that. I like Pi, 3.14, shout out. I'm trying to bring a upbeat, positive attitude to this podcast, Andrew, and here you are <laughs> reminding me of one of the biggest tragedies in recent memory, <laughs> at least involving the XFL. Certainly a shame there. Come on, XFL, CFL. I've been hearing the rumors about that. Make it happen, everybody. We want to see it. Until that happens, though, we will be focusing on the NFL and have a loaded podcast for you today. So Andrew and I are going to go through. Again, we have you know just been doing these team previews for the last uh, 32 days, so I want to take a second before free agency starts, go through all the signings, the trades that have happened over the past months since the Super Bowl ended. We're also going to look at some quick hits after that. And then finally, preview some of the free agency landscape with our dream destinations for certain players. So we'll be back on Wednesday this week and also Friday with uh, more episodes uh, going through what's been going on in free agency. So hope you all enjoy. And without further ado, let's get after it. Andrew, we're going to start off with some news that happened early uh, last week. The Cowboys finally locked down Dak Prescott. You know, some might say this move should have happened a year ago, but whatever it has happened, Dak Prescott will be a Cowboy for the foreseeable future. Meanwhile, the defense sure still looks like a dumpster fire. Do you rank the Cowboys as the number one offense, not in the NFL, but in fantasy football ahead of 2021? Bills, Chiefs, Packers, Bucks, Cowboys. I think there's an argument to be made for all of them. I think it's a pretty consensus top five. But with Dak Prescott back in the fold, I mean, that's the thing that he does. He's the the tide that raises all the boats. We saw it last year during the first five weeks of the season, or at least during the first four weeks of the season, you know, when he started all those games and completed them. I mean, the dude was absolutely on fire. Through the first five weeks, he was quarterback five, and he got all the other players' fantasy points. You know, Amari Cooper was wide receiver three. CeeDee Lamb was wide receiver 12. Ezekiel Elliott was running back three. So to say that they're not a lock for at least top five, 
I mean, that seems like a lock. I think that's easy. And top three seems like it's realistic. And number one overall, I mean, if the Packers are going to regress, the Holmes doesn't have any tackles right now. Josh Allen's probably going to regress a little bit too. So yeah, I think, I think you could definitely put the Cowboys num- at number one. I mean, yeah, to your point, they're certainly in that conversation. I mean, Tack last year, man, his 2020 fantasy points per game, they're only behind 2019 Lamar Jackson in NFL history. I realize Dak, you know, didn't exactly have the hardest stretch of the beginning, uh, you know, of the season. But truly, this offense was putting up points on everybody. And again, you know, we can pick and point through the five games, say they were coming back in the second half and this and that. But, you know, watch the freaking film if you want to. Dak was making high-level throws all year long. And as and at the end of the season, only Deshaun Watson had average more yards per attempt so we'll see man the one uh, spot because you know i was kind of looking through some adps and we're recording this on pi day march 14th so don't have a you know the clearest of average draft position just yet but with that said blake jarwin might be the one discount we can get in this cowboys offense because all the wide receivers all the running backs Dak, all these guys are going fairly high in drafts but jarwin's maybe the forgotten man obviously he got injured i believe he tore his acl in week one uh as early as that happened against the rams uh when they played so dalton schultz obviously came in and, you know, was fine. But Jarwin, man, he's someone we were really excited about last year because unlike Schultz, he can actually get down the field. And hey, assuming the recovery is coming along fine, not that much changes from him in 2021 versus what we were expecting last year. There's a huge role for the Dallas Cowboys tight end. Whoever it is, we'd assume that is Blake Jarwin that is going to be the starter. That's what he was going into the season. The Cowboys paid him like the starting tight end. And Dalton Schultz ran the third most routes at the tight end position last year behind Logan Thomas and Travis Kelsey. So, that and alone makes it so if Jarwin is running that many routes, it doesn't matter, you know, really how good he is. And we can assume that he would probably be better on a per target basis than a guy like Dalton Schultz based on, you know, you talked about he's a little bit more explosive. He can be used more downfield. And if he's running, you know, 30 plus routes a game, like that's really hard to find among tight ends. We do, tight ends that block are just terrible. You just can't rely on them any way, shape or form. Johnny Smith, that's the category he falls into, just a blocking tight end. And that really hurts him. So when they flash... They can't be relied on week to week, but if we have Jarwin in this locked and loaded role where he's really involved in the offense, even with other guys around him getting a lot of targets, look, he's going to find his way into four, four, five, six targets a week, which a tight end is, is a blessing. Yeah, and I mean, look, right now, again, very early ADP, but coming in around the tight end 27 range, if you're in a best ball draft and you don't get one of Kelsey, Kittle, or Waller, you're probably going to be getting three guys later, try to make one of them Blake Jarwin. All right, moving on to a not-so-fantasy-friendly offense. That is the Houston Texans. They went ahead and made one of the early moves we already have in free agency. That was signing Mark Ingram. Look, people, you are not selecting Mark Ingram in any fantasy draft. And until you say, Ian, I would never do that, Andrew and I have done best ball. What was it, Andrew? Like, round 11, we saw someone take him? Yeah, he got he got taken, he got swiped out, and there was it wasn't even like a last pick. If it was like the 18th round, would have made a little more sense. But just randomly, Mark Ingram goes off the board. Honestly, it may have been like a couple rounds after David Johnson. Like it wasn't even that close. So people, I hope you scoff at me and say, Ian, I would never do it. Good. This is the last we're going to talk about it. Please don't do it. With all that said, David Johnson is the one that takes a big time hurt here, and he wasn't someone that we were necessarily lining up to draft. But just looking at what he did last year when Duke Johnson was hurt, truly anyone's idea of you know an 80% plus snap three down workhorse with Ingram now in the fold though andrew are there any texans you want to draft at the moment with the way that their adps are kind of setting up brandon cooks is the guy that pops out as someone that would make sense that we'd want to target again if there are no other really pass catchers that will fuller is gone then brandon cooks would be the the number one there's really not that much competition you know kiki cutie has had flashes you know they have a rotating door at tight end with jordan Akins and darren fells and and cooks 
you know, whatever circumstances he's been in, you know, whatever team he's been on, he's been able to put up a thousand yards and been a productive receiver, at least a wide receiver too in fantasy football. And this year, you know, he was really good. You know, ever since you know I came on this podcast and talked about how you should, you know, bury Brandon Cooks after he put up a, a goose egg in week four, he just he just absolutely just made me pay weeks five through seventeen. He was the wide rec- wide receiver six overall. Average 18.9 fantasy points per game, which ranked fourth. And in the last four games without Fuller in the mix, he averaged 22.5 fantasy points per game. So again, that does require some context because that's attached to a guy like Deshaun Watson. So that matters. But I mean, even if you cut that in half, it's like the guy's still going to lead the team in targets most likely. He is an explosive athlete. And really the only downside, again, besides the offense is just, you know, injury. But at this point, if you're getting him you know, eighth, ninth, tenth round, like you're going to kind of know right off the get go, like, okay, is he going to be able to work in this offense with whoever is the quarterback or, okay, well, he's not going to work right. Like let's cut bait um, and move on. It's not just Watson, man. He started his career with Drew Brees. Then he went to Tom Brady, got the good version of Jared Goff. I mean, truly his generation is like anti-Allen Robinson with some of the quarterbacks <laughs> he's been able to play with. But yeah, I mean, Cooks, he's already seemingly kind of in that wide receiver three range. So again, assuming health. I don't, you know, the concussion history is certainly worrisome, but tough to just assume the guy's going to get concussed again. Assuming health a little bit, I mean, he's being drafted near his floor. The problem is, I think the floor for everybody else is going to be so low that we are going to generally want to stay away as we always preach on this podcast you know hate adp is not players so if david johnson ends up falling like outside the top 30 running backs maybe we can start to talk about him being you know a zero rb target but certainly not someone you're going to draft and you know feel good about and your friends will probably laugh at you uh if you do it a couple rounds too early so we have talked enough about this dumpster fire of an organization until we get some deshaun watson news let's talk about a better offense now andrew and that is the buffalo bills release john brown our guy Smokey. We love and support him on this podcast. I understand 2020 wasn't his finest year, but I really do think he's put on some great film. Uh, you know, one of the more underrated wide receivers over the past few years. Anyway, that leaves the Bills with Stefan Diggs, Cole Beasley, Cole Beasley, excuse me, and Gabriel Davis in three wide receiver sets. Andrew, assuming they make it through free agency in the draft, unless they don't devote, you know, any major resources to the wide receiver room, where are you ranking these three guys ahead of next season? Well, yeah, I don't know if you just did a little Freudian slip with your Cole Baisley uh, <laughs> right there, your take right there. I will not be ranking Cole Beasley as as my number two Bills receiver, so it's going to be Stephon Diggs number one, of course. I think Diggs is a top three receiver. You know, he's top three in my best ball ranking so far. I don't think his 29% target share is going anywhere next year. And, I mean, you know, we talk about how receivers and quarterbacks need time to develop. Well, they, you know, it was Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen in year one that they were able to put on an absolute showcase. So to see them potentially take another leap, another step forward into year two, I don't think that's outlandish in any way, shape, or form. But I think for me, I think the number two Bills receiver that I'd want is Gabriel Davis. Again, I'm definitely projecting a little bit more than just looking at last year. Beasley, you know, the counting stats came out really well. He finished as the wide receiver 21 in PPR. So he was a guy, if you had him on your roster, you know, he had a couple big weeks here and there. But most of the time, he was someone you could just put in in your lineup as a wide receiver three. And you felt pretty good about it. But... We do want to chase upside, especially with the receiver position. I think that's just tied to Gabriel Davis. So some things I found out about Gabriel Davis that I was honestly shocked to see were the fact that he tied digs in terms of end zone targets last year with 17. And he also saw more 20 yard targets down the field than digs did in the, during the 2020 regular season. It was really only during the playoffs that the bills were forced to just start chucking it down to Stephon Diggs, And I think a lot of those actually came in that chiefs game where it was just kind of like desperation time and like, Hey, we need to like generate some big plays. So we'll just chuck the ball deep to Stephon Diggs. So Diggs wasn't really used as much as a downfield threat as we kind of all envisioned him being when he first signed with the bills. And it's just because he was used more as an intermediate receiver and obviously helping out Josh Allen. But 
I think that those high value targets are really going to be go through Gabriel Davis next year. Six foot three, two hundred and twelve pounds. You know, he could he has the potential to really be their main red zone guy. You know, Dawson Knox is still a tight end, you know, a middling tight end right now, entering his third season, so we're not sure if he's going to really take another step forward. So for me, it seems like Gabriel Davis, the team seems like they're behind him, you know, releasing John Brown to save money. And he showed that he was versatile enough last year to play a lot of different positions. Like he played in the slot and outside. So he was able to do a lot of different things. So I think, you know, I'm going to drink the Kool-Aid a little bit with the Gabriel Davis, the the hype. It's already, you know, it's pretty real already. You know, he's not someone that's like super cheap in ADP. He's not a great super value, but I think it's kind of warranted based on just, you know, people kind of projecting forward with what he showed his first uh, year in the league. If you look at the targets, I mean, it really isn't that crazy to think he could be the number two receiver pretty immediately. Because, I mean, yeah, Beasley, last two years, he's had 106 and 107. But John Brown and Gabe Davis were playing that same role. When John Brown was out, Gabriel Davis stepped, Gabriel Davis stepped in. And combined, they, they had 114 uh, targets. So, yeah, this is an offense that throws the piss out of the ball. So we're going to see situations where we could actually project three wide receivers to each have over 100 targets. Particularly true if they continue to keep Dawson Knox and not maybe devote some resources to the Hunter Henry's John U. Smith's of the world. So again, situation we'll need to see, you know, how they make it out of free agency and the draft and all that. But I like the call, Andrew. And Gabriel Davis is one of those guys where I feel like, you know, as soon as John Brown got cut, the entire fantasy community is rushing to Twitter to talk about, you know, Gabriel Davis. It's a very obvious, you know, win. But he's looking again, early ADP returns and just what we've seen on, you know, the draft. He's still going like that wide receiver four, wide receiver five range. When I think if we actually sat down and made 2021 projections, we're looking at potentially triple digit targets and with the guy who just led all rookies and yards per reception you know he's going to make the most out of those opportunities so you know it's going to be tough to have a conversation about Josh Allen this offseason without people yelling regression and this and that but when there's so much volume in this passing game and we have a situation where Davis is getting the fantasy friendly deep balls with Diggs with Beasley to take away attention it does really seem like all the stars are aligning for Gabriel Davis to have a hell of a breakout year two in 2021 and it kind of reminds me of the Texans and Giants wide receivers last year where, you know, hey, didn't hit on all the Giants, but Shep was okay. Fuller, Cooks, obviously, were the big winners, but all those guys were being drafted, like, outside the top 30 wide receivers, so they were great risks to take because, worst case, you're not using a high pick on them anyway, and the ceiling is obviously so much higher than what they were being selected at. So, you know, uh, Andrew, we talked about you named the Bucks, the Chiefs, the Cowboys, the Bills, and uh, another off, or the Packers as offenses that, you know, to really focus on being the top five, you know, in fantasy football ball in. If you just look at the number two and number three wide receivers on those offenses, I think you're going to come away just really convinced that Gabriel Davis is potentially one of the biggest, you know, values going on in the radar on these loaded teams. Now, a team that we aren't so confident will be in that top five anymore is the New Orleans Saints. Obviously, Drew Brees looking like he's going to retire, although he's done, you know, everything except utter those exact words. Still not exactly sure with the Jameis Winston situation. Uh, Ace Saints beat writer Nick Underhill did say on this podcast that he fully does expect it to be Jameis but you know man it's gonna be Sean Payton we know they should be putting up some yards let's assume Jameis Winston is under center I don't even want to deal with the hell hellacious scenario that Taysom Hill is starting for 16 games there let's assume Jameis is the man we know Michael Thomas you know will be a top eight top 10 wide receiver drafted who are some under the radar buys though because again similar to the Bills these complimentary options you know probably are a little bit mispriced in fantasy land right now so the one that's most popular recently is Adam Troutman because of the recent tight end releases with Jared Cook and Josh Hill. So that 
you know, slides in Adam Troutman to be the number one tight end for the New Orleans Saints. And they invested some decent draft capital in him last year, you know, trading up to actually get him before. I believe they didn't really have that many other picks. They didn't really have a lot of draft picks. And that's why they have to release all these players because they really, the draft has been kind of a hit and miss here for the Saints in the last couple seasons. But he flashed when he actually got the chance to play. You know, he ranked first among tight ends in catch rate. He caught 94% of the passes thrown his way. And he ranked third in yards after the catch per reception, you know, 7.7. Again, this comes with the accolade among tight ends with at least 15 targets. So again, you gotta, you know, you gotta really cherry pick the stat there. But just to kind of show that, you know, he did look good when he got the opportunity to play in, in an expanded role. You'd think, okay, even if the efficiency comes down a little bit, which usually happens, you know, he's still going to be putting up decent numbers for the tight end position again he's still a second year tight end but at Dayton he was one of PFF's highest graded tight ends in terms of receiving I believe he was the highest graded tight end we ever had you know from a receiving standpoint before uh, Kyle Pitts obviously you know destroyed that last year at Florida so I think that he's an exciting guy again don't go crazy about any of these tight ends really it's really about value with the late round tight ends because we can be so confident that this tight end is going to be when the breaks out and it just doesn't happen because oh you're going to block like that's literally can happen to any of these tight ends. So don't go over, don't be overzealous with targeting a player like Adam Troutman. But if he's coming at a good value, there's a player that you could definitely target as a late round tight end. And then as another player, I'm kind of off Traquan Smith. I think that we've seen enough of him. He's had opportunities and just seems like he hasn't really been able to deliver on those opportunities. Whereas a player that I actually like seeing more and more of last year was Deontay Harris. So he was a player that I kind of like labeled as like a super dupe sleeper for me heading into the 2021 season, just based on, hey, this guy was really explosive in terms of kick returns and punt returns. That's what he did really well at college. And, you know, he had a huge game in the wildcard round. You know, he was really involved, seven catches for 83 yards. He kind of filled in a little bit for when they were taking away from, you know, Alvin Kamara wasn't as involved in that specific game. And he looked like he was going to have another really heavily involved game in the divisional round of the playoffs, but then he got hurt. So I think Deontay Harris is someone that they like as a player. He's really explosive, plays out of the slot. So I think that Deontay Harris is someone interesting to kind of keep tabs on. But again, you're right. You know, after Michael Thomas, it really does fall off. I was just looking at the depth chart earlier today. I'm like, all right, who are some of these sleepers on the Saints? I'm like, okay, like there's not a lot, there's not a lot of name cachet with some of these other guys here. Yeah, I mean, look, Deontay Harris, hey, very explosive, fun with the ball in his hands. Maybe the Saints are the team to give him that feature role, but you know, someone that's like five foot six, one seventy with shoes on, soaking wet, maybe not the guy we should be relying on, you know, to stand up over the course of an entire season. Marquez Callaway, maybe super late dart if you can get him for free in Dynasty Land. I, I think, you know, his value is probably never gonna be lower than uh, it could be entering the season now, where uh, you know, he could actually be in through through wide receiver sets. I'm with you on Traquan. We've seen him flash, but you know, ultimately just eight games with five or more targets. Targets. I think that's more of an indictment on Sean Payton's belief in him than, you know, Traquan just not really getting used as much as he should. So, yeah, man, it's tough to see where the value is here right now. I agree with you with Adam Troutman uh, being kind of the main guy to look at right now. Just how high are we willing to go up with him, though? Because to your point about not, you know, it just depends where the tight ends lay. I mean, last year we told you do not touch Tyler Higby because he was the tight end 6 in ADP. This year, if he's going to be tight end 16, I'm way more in on the Tyler Higby train. So, Andrew, if I say... Irv Smith, Kyle Pitts, and Cole Komet. Do you want Troutman over any of those guys? No. No? No. That's it? <laughs> no, man. I want those other guys. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, and again, we'll see how the rankings fall out. But Troutman, 
probably someone we're going to want to be targeting again. Three tight end best ball drafts uh, down the way, not someone necessarily build your roster around. We'll see if we can get Andrew to get slightly more enthusiastic about him <laughs> in the future. But for now, you heard it from the man yourself. Moving on to the Saints uh, NFC South rival, that is the Buccaneers, who tagged Chris Goblin, meaning he seemingly won't be leaving Tampa Bay until 2022 at the earliest. Obviously, the playoffs were rough, and we had one drop after another. But I think we can still all agree Goblin is usually a fantastic wide receiver. What are your 2021 fantasy ranks for Goblin and Mike Evans right now so i got godwin ranked just slightly ahead of mike evans and basically what we're going to see in draft boards all season long is they're going to be right next to each other probably in adp because it's it's really hard to make a convincing argument either way because both of them you know are good wide receivers good fantasy wide receivers but i think for mike or excuse me for chris godwin i just think that his role as the slot receiver is just so locked and loaded 64 percent snap share in there last year and that's literally where he's been at his best you know he's one of the pff's highest graded slot receivers over the past two seasons. So that's really where I'm going to be leaning towards. And even when you break it down, you know, despite all the injuries Chris Godwin had throughout the season, there actually was a 16-game sample size, if you include the playoffs, where both Chris Godwin and Mike Evans were, were both active. And really, it was only the touchdowns that Mike Evans had the edge. He had 11 touchdowns versus Chris Godwin's eight. But, you know, target share was favored by Chris Godwin. You know, yards per route run was Chris Godwin. You know, fantasy points per game was Chris Godwin. So, you know, all those indications are going to be, all right, well, I'm going to give the slight lean towards Chris Godwin here. It's not you know, a slam dunk, you know, Chris Godwin is going to just, you know, run laps around Mike Evans in 2021. I don't think that's the case, but if we don't see Tom Brady come out and be as efficient from a touchdown perspective, because really we all expected Mike Evans' fantasy points to fall off a cliff after Antonio Brown joined the team, because we all knew the splits, you know, the first half of the year, you know, Mike Evans was really good in the games without Chris Godwin, not as good in the games with Chris Godwin. And we all kind of expected, you know, Mike Evans was a popular, you know, sell high player, but then it just never really happened when Antonio Brown joined the team because basically Mike Evans just kept catching touchdowns and, and, and it didn't really stop. And the offense's overall efficiency, I think, improved over time. And again, there were a couple, you know, poor opponents, you know, Minnesota Vikings, Detroit Lions that the, the Buccaneers really had their way with to really help inflate Mike, Mike Evans' stats at the end of the day. So for me, I'm still going to lean with Chris Godwin. I can't believe how, again, just going back to the Super Bowl real quick, how dominant the Buccaneers were in that game. And Mike Evans finishes with one target, one catch, <laughs> 31 yards. I think he drew a DPI at one point. That was big. But one target. Goblin has four targets, two catches, nine yards. Even AB, six targets, five catches, 22 yards, and a score. I mean, the entire, like... If you were going to you know, put your neck out there like late in the season and say the Buccaneers are really going to come together and win it, I would assume your argument would be that you got three of the better wide receivers in the league. They're probably going to carry this offense. Not so fast, my friend. Brady managed to get it done with Lombardi, Lenny, and some tight ends along the way. So credit to them for doing that. But yeah, I just don't think. I think the Super Bowl reflects the reality that we really saw all year. None of these guys are getting wide receiver one targets anymore. They did with Jameis, and because they're both great wide receivers, they accordingly put up wide receiver one numbers last year. Evans finished as the PPR wide receiver 15. Goblin was the, excuse me, Evans was wide receiver 16. Goblin was wide receiver 15, literally right next to each other. And I don't think that should really be changing. So I understand, you know, if you want to have them kind of closer to that wide receiver one borderline or even just, you know, more in the lower 20 uh, range. But either way, I'm with you. Put them next to each other and put them outside the top 12 because unfortunately the targets just are not there. Seriously, people, Mike Evans had seven games with fewer than five targets last year. He only had five of those games in 2014 and 2019 combined. I mean, say what you want about Jameis Winston. That dude was feeding his top receivers no matter what the defense was doing and no matter how the game was going. And even Goblin got impacted, man. 16 games, including the postseason. Just six games with more than eight targets. He hit that mark in 10 games, even though he had two fewer contests in 2019. So over 
we're all targets, everyone. We're chasing the opportunity, not necessarily the talent, even though the Buccaneers have plenty of talented wide receivers, just not convinced they have, you know, those 150 target ceilings we were looking for in fantasy land. One guy that does have that volume ceiling, and we've seen it for several years, is Allen Robinson. He has been tagged by the Bears. Now, while Godwin seems happy in Tampa Bay, why wouldn't you just be happy with, you know, all the hardware they've got to bring home? Allen Robinson, not so much. The reports are saying that he has no intention of signing that franchise tag anytime soon. Certainly seems like they could try to trade him, get a draft pick out of the deal. So let's get crazy, Andrew. Let's say Al Robinson stays in Chicago because things get wild and they trade for Russell Wilson. I'm not sure how they can get Russ and, you know, keep A-Rob, but let's just go with that. Where would we be ranking the guys in this offense? Robinson, Mooney, Montgomery, Cohen, maybe even Cole Komet, if Russell Wilson is playing quarterback? For me, Allen Robinson would be top three wide receiver, no doubt. Wow. I think behind Devontae Adams, behind Tyree Kill, and then I would I would probably put him in front of Diggs, honestly, because, look, the guy's been a top eight wide receiver basically the last two seasons with pretty much the worst quarterback play anybody could ever ask for of an elite wide receiver. And now you're throwing in Russell Wilson in this mix who, you know, he doesn't even need to be, you know, you know, the top percentile in terms of an efficient quarterback. He could just be above average in terms of efficiency. And I feel like that would just elevate Allen Robinson to just a whole another level where he could really be an elite fantasy option at the position, actually be a true difference maker, you know, not necessarily relying on the total volume, but really dude, this guy's absurdly efficient with the ball. So I mean, I would be super high on Al Robinson. Darnell Mooney, I think, would even kind of vault a little bit higher even as well in terms of just efficiency because he wouldn't get the, the volume boost because that, I think that's what a lot of people were trying to buy with Darnell Mooney was a lot of the targets last year and the fact that Al Robinson was potentially on his way out. So I think that Mooney kind of would have probably been a trap last year if or going into this season if Allen Robinson had just left because, again, sometimes we see these you know, ancillary receivers just take on number one roles and then they don't necessarily deliver what we all hoped because they're really not number one wide receivers. You know, Mooney is a downfield threat and I think that would work perfectly with a guy like Russell Wilson who's obviously thrived as a downfield passer. And I think something that's cool about Mooney is, you know, he was a downfield threat last year or for the majority of the season and he was one of two rookies, the other being Justin Jefferson, that caught at least two passes in every single game he played. So Mooney actually showed like some, some decent consistency from, again, erratic quarterback play so I think that really bodes well for him I think Montgomery would also you know I think Montgomery would have to be at least a top 15 running back fringe RB1 low-end RB1 high-end RB2 because running backs are tied to touchdowns like that's how they elevate in terms of fantasy scoring and with Russell Wilson at the helm like he's going to drive in more end zone end zone attempts more touchdown opportunities for the team to score so David Montgomery, again, he's probably going to end up being a value again this year. You know, right now, his ADP is basically where it was last year. And this is kind of already knowing everything that's already happened and also kind of already baked, factoring in the fact that Tariq Cohen is coming back. So that's kind of already factored into his price. So again, Montgomery, yes, we all know that the late season surge probably isn't going to repeat, especially with the with the targets in the passing game. But you're not paying for that anymore. Like people are factoring that in that he's not going to get those targets and it's kind of already factored into his price. So those are some of my takes on some of those guys. Yeah, A-Rob, you have wide receiver three. I would go wide receiver six, not a huge difference, but I think I still think Devontae, Tyreek Diggs, Hopkins, and Mr. Maybe 150 targets, AJB, deserve to be <laughs> ahead of him there. But again, you know, we're talking about three versus six. Clearly anyone's idea of a high-end wide receiver one. Yeah, Mooney, I just, you know, be kind of similarly ranked with Gabriel Davis, like not someone we're probably going to be lining up to, you know, definitely start every single week with a ton of confidence because of the potential target issues, but certainly someone we know that can win deep and with that quarterback 
quarterback upgrade would be huge. Talk a little about the tight ends. And yeah, man, the one thing that's going to kill David Montgomery more than anything would be if worse comes to worse and they sign Alex Smith because Tariq Cohen is then just going to go back to getting those 120 plus targets. If you thought the J.D. McKissick Washington football team offense was annoying, put Alex Smith in with the Bears and see just how much Tariq Cohen will eat. So <laughs> not, nothing, even th- nothing even against Tariq Cohen, but I just think Nagy does a pretty poor job or at least has over the past two years of using him like a legit running back. Every time he comes in the game, he just you can just tell he's going to be you know a kind of gadget scheme play. So Tariq, I mean, he, he's done some special things with the ball in his hands over the years. Uh, certainly needs someone like Alex Smith to keep on making that a reality, though. People, I wanted to get to the trades next, but we've had some breaking news go down right in the middle of this podcast. That is the Packers handing Aaron Jones a four-year deal worth $48 million, including a $13 million signing bonus. We did not think this was going to happen, Andrew. We were imagining Jamal Williams being the guy getting the boost back to Green Bay. Remains to be seen if that will happen. But either way, Aaron Jones now locked in with the Packers for a foreseeable future. This is a running back that they have declined to give 50% snap rolls even some weeks when healthy because of Jamal Williams. They felt the need to draft A.J. Dillon in round two last year. What are your immediate reactions on Aaron Jones? Who I'm imagining we still will have in you know the top 10 RB range in fantasy land, but... Andrew, this this seems like a uh, interesting move in real life. Got a poor, got a poor one out for all those best ball teams that took AJ Dillon in the fifth round. Like, it's just oh man, this is absolutely insane to to see that the Packers ended up going back to Aaron Jones here with the four year deal. And I, I mean, I'm pretty surprised by. It. I I thought that there would probably be you know like a 25 percent, 75 percent chance that you know 25 percent saying that he'd come back to the team and they didn't franchise tag him so i thought okay well they're probably gonna end up moving on from him and i figured they would still be in the running for him or at least enough to like put up his price but maybe this is just more about other teams being like you know we're not gonna pay more than 12 million dollars a year for a running back i don't know maybe that's the way that maybe the packers were like this is our best deal that we're gonna offer you and nobody else topped it and the packers would have not chased after him so Maybe a lot of other teams are just not viewing Aaron Jones in the similar light as the Green Bay Packers do. And it just, the the ramifications, especially with A.J. Dillon, I think is really interesting because now you really wonder, so why did they take a second round pick with A.J. Dillon? It just seems like at this point, like, how is he going to fit in? Because he really doesn't have a role behind Jamal Williams or Aaron Jones because, you know, Aaron Jones is going to work. You're not going to substitute Aaron Jones out to play more of A.J. Dillon on early downs. At least I don't envision that. And, He's not going to play on third down. So, man, I don't know. A.J. Dillon, dude, he's going to be free now in drafts. And look, Dylan like looked good last year with the ball in his hands. Just you know, he had the great Tennessee game. Jamal Williams comes back and they bench him again. He gets a couple touches. NFC Championship game was making some good things happen. He just got back to the bench. Ultimately, Aaron Jones. I, I get why they signed him because he's been one of the best running backs in the league since he came in. I mean, since 2017, we got 52 running backs with at least 300 carries. Jones is third in PFF rushing grade, tied for first in yards per carry, tied for ninth in yards after contact per attempt. And honestly, I mean, my biggest kind of gripe with the way the Packers have used Jones because, you know, someone this good, we want to have 300, 400 touches, but hey, that's not a good real life strategy to run your players into the ground. I understand that. But to see Jones as good as he has been receiving, never to have over 50 catches in a season, he's had 49 and 47, whatever. He could have 80 catches in a season, I think, with his skill set. I mean, again, since he came into the league, only Austin Eckler and Naeem Hines have averaged more yards per out run, one lined up in the slot or out wide. I mean, Jones is a far, you know, bigger and just much 
much more of a threat running in between the tackles than either Eckler or Hines, yet they just haven't really dove into this skill set of his unless Devontae Adams has been injured. So, hey, man, 48 million reasons now, I guess, to really try to get even more than they've uh, gotten out of him in the past. But, man, just in terms of a total touch count, uh, landing spot, certainly not ideal. I would say, though, I mean, this from his fantasy perspective, like this is probably best case for him, just still being in that Aaron Rodgers offense. Again, doesn't get quite as many touches as we would like, but if there's anywhere where he's going to make up for it with touchdowns like he has during his career, it's probably going to still be Green Bay. Well, do you think now that the team doesn't resign Jamal Williams? Would that now be the next thing that kind of the, the next domino where maybe they think AJ Dillon can be more involved? I, I don't know. I guess if they're going to sign Aaron Jones, like why resign Jamal Williams too when you do actually have a running back? I guess that would be make if, you know, kind of projecting ahead. Okay, now if they don't resign Jamal Williams, okay, now I understand maybe a little bit more. Yeah, that, that's the next question for sure. Would you like. If Aaron Jones had gone to the Dolphins or Falcons, those seem like the two kind of top teams for me, or the Seahawks even. Like, would you have ranked him higher than any, maybe the Seahawks than what he is now? That's maybe the only one. Because again, we would need to see him in another great offense with a great quarterback, but with a higher touch ceiling. And hey, again, unfortunately, we we won't be getting, you know, the true free Aaron Jones. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't be freaking out too much. uh, All you dynasty people out there, I think uh, this actually could be a good thing when it's all said and done. All right. Back to the original scheduled uh, programming, Andrew. I want to get through these two trades before we quickly uh, fire off some uh, just other notes. So Carson Wentz, now a member of the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, Eagles traded him to the Colts for a 2021 third and a 2022 second. And now Jalen Hurts is the full-time starter in 2021, seemingly for the Philadelphia Eagles. So just with this whole trade, Andrew, all the affected skill position players in that, who was your biggest winner in this deal and why is it Jalen Hurts? Yeah, dude, it's Jalen Hurts for me. I, I was trying to like siphon through this trade and trying to do some really deep analysis, but nope. at the end of the day, nope. it just became Jalen Hurts because he has the opportunity to be that late round quarterback darling, the one that has that rushing upside that can really deliver for fantasy owners next year. Again, his best ball ADP is already like pretty high in terms of where he's going, but again, he's still going to end up probably being a value in most fantasy leagues and traditional fantasy leagues when it comes time to actually draft for redraft formats. Again, the best ball ADP is really sharp right now because people like myself and Ian, you know, analysts are really the more or less people that are creating the ADP. So it's really more indicative of, hey, you actually want to really follow these closely because I think this will give you an edge when you kind of draft a little bit lighter, you know, towards, you know, closer to the summertime and into the, the fall. But I think with Hurts, I think the thing that's kind of overblown with him and kind of knocking him, because I'll let you get into the accolades because I know you got them queued up, but <laughs> people are hating on his you know, 52% completion percentage, ranked dead last in 2020. But look, you got to look at the fact that the guy was throwing downfield more than any other quarterback last year. You know, 46% of his passing attempts were going at least 10 yards down the field, and he ranked first in average depth of target with 11, at 11 yards. So... The guy's chucking the ball downfield all the time or he's scrambling. And honestly, dude, I would rather have my quarterback running out, picking up 10 yards on the ground, than checking it down to a running back to make his completion percentage better. Like, that was the main difference. And even looking at him from an intermediate throwing, from an accuracy standpoint, he was 66%, you know, throwing between 10 and 19 yards, which is right on average. And that's really where we see the most elite quarterbacks that's where they're the best is in the intermediate level. Like Joe Burrow was really good there this past season. And that's really indicative of how well he could be in the future, how good of a quarterback he can be in the future. So I think that, you know, anyone that's really pointing to the completion percentage as a real knock on Hertz, I don't think you're really taking into context nearly, Hey, this Eagles offense last year was literally a disaster. I mean, Carson Wentz, his accuracy percentage was all over the place too. So you can't knock him for that. And I think too, as well, 
looking at the splits between Hertz and zone versus man coverage. Zone coverage, he was fine. Like, he was fine in terms of his passing efficiency, 8.4 yards per attempt. It was really against man coverage, which I think is really more a knock on his receivers because he's looking at his receiver. His guys aren't getting open. Like, and that's no, that's not surprising to anyone who saw the Eagles play last year and who they had, you know, running routes against man coverage. You know, Zach Ertz, Rager, just guys that weren't getting it done last year. So I think really Jalen Hurts is all upside next year for sure. Yeah, look, he's not the most polished passer, but I think anytime we have a dual threat quarterback, everyone pretends like they're, you know, Kendall Hinton, that Broncos <laughs> practice squad wide receiver that was forced to start a game. Like, yeah, okay, Hurts, you know, he's not going to throw for over 300 yards every game, but the fact he did it twice, I mean, it took us three years or four years <laughs> for Josh, three years for Josh Allen to get over that hump. I don't want to slander the guy, but, you know. It can happen. Hertz can at least put up numbers through the air. We've seen that. And that's fine. We just need him to be adequate to at least kind of do that because the rushing upside is where everything comes together. I mean, even in these games, his one bad performance in week 17 when, you know, the Eagles inf- infamously pulled him in the, uh, in the fourth quarter, even with the game close. Like the guy completed seven to 20 passes for 72 yards but also had 34 rushing yards and two scores. Like, it's just truly such a cheat code in fantasy football to have this rushing upside. That's why Jalen Hurts is already carrying a QB1 ADP into 2021. So, look, he's fine if you can get him at that, you know, QB10 to 12 range, but I'm not necessarily going to be reaching on him, man, because everyone wants him to be, you know, they want to find the next 2019 Lamar Jackson. Well, as we saw last year with Kyler Murray, who, you know, I, I think made, people got their money's uh, worth out of him, but, you know, Kyler Murray was a QB4 last year. I think Jalen, going into uh, the fantasy season, I mean, in ADP, I think Hurts is going to, you know, slowly but surely probably get around that top six, top five range. And again, not even that he doesn't necessarily deserve to be up there, but just realize he's already being priced Fairly close to his ceiling, you know, for someone that's in a what's probably going to be a bad overall offense. So, yeah, dual threat, you know, QBs. We all want them in fantasy land. Just realize, you know, Hertz is not exactly going under the radar. I'm a little more interested in Trevor Lawrence at his uh, discount for true late round QB drafters. Andrew, last thing here, real blockbuster trade. Matthew Stafford going to the Rams for Jared Goff and a pair of first round picks. Obviously, the expectations for the lowly Lions are now even worse. I don't even want to talk about that dumpster fire for the rest of this podcast. Uh, maybe a little bit Tyrell Lawrence, but you know what I'm saying. But the Rams, I mean, we're talking Packers, Buccaneers, and Rams, I think, as your top three teams, easy in the NFC. How excited, though, from a fantasy perspective, are we to target this LA offense? I've waxed poetic on this podcast about <laughs> end zone targets, targets down the field, and I talked about the Rams receivers a lot last year about how they didn't get those things with Jared Goff under center. And that's exactly, you know, looking... Back at the final stats, exactly what I thought it was. So Cooper Cup, Robert Woods ranked outside the top 75 players in deep targets last season. The Rams ranked second to last in end zone targets with only 22 altogether. The Lions offense ranked seventh in deep ball passing attempts to wide receivers. Marvin Jones ranked fifth in the NFL in deep targets. Kenny Galladay and Quintus Cephas saw as many deep targets as Cooper Cup did during the regular season. Kenny Galladay missed basically like the entire season, and Quintus Sivas has basically been a role, you know, part-time player as a rookie during his first season in the league. The Lions also ranked 7th in end zone targets. So, yes, I'm way more excited about these Lions, or these Rams pass catchers with Matthew Stafford because he just unlocks their ceilings. Like, he has a chance to actually move the ball downfield. He has a chance to throw the ball to them in the end zone. Just things that were non-existent in this offense with Jared Goff under center. And I think that's really why the Rams ultimately made the move. They're betting on upside. Look, Jared Goff, he's fine. He can do this and that. 
you know, but Matthew Stafford can do all those things that Jared Goff can do, but that also offers this extra ceiling where, okay, if this works out, like we can get to the next level on offense. And I think that the Rams are being smart in that approach because I don't think going into next year being like, oh, well, our defense is going to be the best in the league no matter what. Defense is super volatile from year to year. So there's no guarantee they are the number one defense in the league. If they drop down to number five, that can really make a huge difference. So it makes a lot of sense that they went out and made this move to really get the upgrade at the quarterback position. So I think it's great for the pass catchers across the board. I think it's also great for Cam Akers because you look at last year, Cam Akers faced the second most stacked boxes because Jared Goff was Hunter center. So that's not going to be the case with a guy like Matthew Stafford. I mean, think about it. Adrian Peterson saw fewer stack boxes with Matthew Stafford than Cam Akers did. Everyone knows when Adrian Peterson is back there, they're running the football. <laughs> like everyone knows that everybody and their mother knows that's what's going to happen. And yet he still saw fewer stack boxes than Cam Akers did. So I- I'm really excited about this Rams offense really back in um, with Stafford and the pass catchers for sure. Yeah, I think Woods and Cup, you know, obviously they play wide receiver couldn't be more different than these other guys, but they like discount versions of Mike Evans and Chris Goblin yeah. just from, you know, targets and being in a great offense and, uh, you know, just really being, you know, wide receiver twos that can offer us the occasional wide receiver one boom wings. I'm excited to see who they get as their number three. Van Jefferson was fine last year. And if they want to give him the full-time role, I'm interested, but you know, I'd love to see them go out dream scenario. Will Fuller. I don't think they quite have the mm-hmm. cap space for that, but let's get another deep threat there. Someone that Stafford can use that, you know, bazooka for a right arm on. I want John Ross to go get another, Another chance to revive his career with Sean McVay, and then I will give up on that beautiful speedster that Cincinnati <laughs> has not been able to figure out over the past few seasons. But yeah, man, and the Cam Akers conversation. If we were just a little more certain Daryl Henderson wasn't going to be in the picture at all, I think we'd be looking at a consensus top five fantasy back potentially, man. Because, okay, McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, and, you know, even Derrick Henry, just with, you know, what he's coming off of, what he's capable of doing on the ground. I think they're kind of your consensus big three, but you look at Kamara and a post-Breeze offense, Saquon coming off the injury, Chubb's still got Kareem, Zeke's got, uh, you know, Pollard, Jonathan Taylor's got Naeem Hines, Eckler and Jones, and James Robinson, we got some other issues. Like, just from a pure touch standpoint, if Cam Akers is getting that Todd Gurley role that we saw McVay have for years, he's a legit top five fantasy back, man. Cam Akers is, I'm so excited to draft him again. I think I have him ranked right like back to back with Zeke. And I just, I don't know, man, it's really hard to push the button on Zeke Elliott when Cam Akers is there. And again, it's, you're definitely projecting. You're doing a projection with Cam Akers because you're banking on the fact that I think that he's going to get the work over Darrell Henderson. And, you know, I wrote him up, you know, the earlier in the offseason talking about the split between him and Henderson. And I think that if Cam Akers hadn't gotten hurt early on in the season, then I think that it might have been the Akers show all along. And it really wasn't because of, you know, this and that or the injury, you know, the reason why they, they turned it to Henderson. It's just like, you know, Henderson's not like a, a scrub back. I, I think that he's a he's a good running back, too. But I just think that Akers at the end of the day is much better. And I think the Rams are going to ultimately see that as well. And really, people, do not underestimate what, you know, Stafford could do in this environment. Since 2017, which is when McVay took over, the Rams are number one in play action rate. The Lions are 27th. The Rams are number seven in shift and motion rate. The Lions are 27th. Uh, even pressure rate, Lions are 15 and Rams are 12. So just has not been a good situation for Stafford really throughout his entire career. I mean, only two times in Stafford's entire tenure with Detroit did they have a scoring defense better than 15th. In 2014, they went 11-5. And in 2016, they went 9-7. and 
seven. So give Stafford just a little bit of help, and I think he might be surprised what he can achieve. I agree uh, with the calls for him as a dark horse MVP, but you know at this point he's kind of already in that top seven, top eight range anyway. So probably better odds to have gotten a month ago. Before we move on, I want to give a quick shout out to our friends over at Underdog Fantasy. If you like fantasy football and if you like playing fantasy for money, you need to check out Underdog Fantasy. Underdog's got everything, including season-long and playoff best ball. Best ball is a season-long game where you draft a team like you normally do, but that is it. There's no in-season roster management, and Underdog automatically selects your best performers each week, saving you loads of time. So go to Underdog Fantasy and deposit $10 using promo code PFF and get a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's promo code PFF for a free PFF Edge annual subscription. Draft now at Underdog Fantasy, and you can catch Andrew, myself, we had Kevin Cole, we had our boy Jared Evans on the you know Periscope PFF going through some live drafts uh, with uh, Best Ball, uh, you know, on Underdog. So in my opinion, Best Ball one of the more fun uh, fantasy formats out there, and certainly a way to help help you get through the dry months of the winter. So again, Underdog Fantasy, Co PFF, I love it, you love it, make it happen. Couple quick hits before we get on to some actual free agency preview. Andrew, sad day. Texans, well, it was a sad day a couple weeks ago. I was on vacation <laughs> in Florida, sitting by the pool. I come inside to check my phone, and it was blowing up because the Texans did the unthinkable and released my guy, Duke Johnson. This is not what I meant when I said free Duke Johnson <laughs> for all these years. Unfortunately, it's the reality. Any thoughts on you know where Duke could end up? Or how, and We already kind of talked about the existing Texans uh, backfield, but it's a time to give up on Duke Johnson, Andrew, or was it time like five years ago? I think the time for giving up Duke Johnson as like a three down back, I think that is probably done at this point. I mean, he had a couple chances, you know, this year to really, you know, take the job and run with it. And again, you know, he had a weather game in one situation. And, but ultimately, I think that, you know, teams might see that and just not be super enthused about, hey, let's get this guy a three down workload. I mean, honestly, dude, he just needs to go somewhere where he is the only pass catching back. Not like a situation with the Texans where David Johnson still kind of, there was some overlap in skills. So I think that kind of, hurt him at the end of the day and they're kind of like you know why they have the duplicate school i mean first of all i don't know why the texans traded for duke johnson in the first place anyway but that's like that's kind of like past that's like that's like the least of their problems right now honestly but it was a duplicate skill set with him and david johnson and then again the, the names thing was even even more complicated but <laughs> i think that again if you go somewhere like tampa bay where it's like hey clear need pass catching back you know if they don't end up getting james white which i know is a really popular you know landing spot for him duke johnson seems like he could fit in perfectly you just catch passes. That's what you do. That's what we need with Tom Brady at quarterback. Yeah, I would note that 2020 was the first time in Duke's career that he actually had to miss games due to injury. So I think that also did have something to do with his, you know, generally reduced shiftiness. But we'll see, Andrew. You know, I'm going to go on a limb and say the Duke's all-time leading rusher is still good at running the football. But all the haters out there that have told me otherwise over the years, unfortunately, uh, look right now. I agree. I do think uh, the three-down pipe dream, probably over. We will see where he lands, hopefully somewhere that can afford him at least 50-plus targets. Because say we want about Duke, we all know. He's a great receiving back. Hopefully yeah. those targets will come his way. Uh, also, the Vikings have released Kyle Rudolph. When they signed him this original long-term deal, they always kind of had the opportunity to get out whenever they wanted. In my opinion, Kyle, like, is not washed. He's had a, he has, like, a weird, like, legit three to four catch, like, nasty one-hand snags highlights over the past two years. With that said, I understand why they did it. To, you know, it's a good cap-saving move, and obviously Irv Smith has uh, proven, you know, to be a pretty uh, high-end talent with his opportunities. How excited to argue about Irv Smith, Andrew. Yeah, I mean, I know you mentioned you mentioned Irv Smith as one of the tight ends. We were talking about Adam Troutman before, and I picked Irv Smith as a guy I would like before, and just because he's proven a little bit more, you know, especially from a fantasy commodity standpoint. You know, his final four games without Rudolph, 
He ranked eighth in fantasy points per game, 12.8. And the biggest thing that I look at, again, looking at routes run for the tight end position is his increase in routes run. So it wasn't just, hey, he caught a bunch of touchdowns and Rudolph wasn't there. It really inflated his fantasy points. It was like, no, like his role actually changed. He was running more routes. You know, he ran 118 routes over the last stretch of games, which is right under 30 per game, which actually ranked eighth both as a position. And it was actually way more dramatically higher than his 18 routes run per game during the first nine weeks of the year. So his role changed a lot. The usage changed in a really positive way. So that's something I like to see, especially now that, again, Justin Jefferson is the clear alpha one number there. Thielen's there too. But again, this is an efficient passing offense. That's always kind of what it's been with Kirk Cousins. So I think Irv Smith definitely needs to be on the, the late round tight end radar for sure. But again, you don't, you can't go crazy with these tight ends. Like, again, we, we talk about, you know, these late round tight ends. Like, oh, here's this guy, like, going into last year. I wrote him up, all the breakout tight ends. Basically, almost none of them hit whatsoever. <laughs> and you just got to keep that in mind. I think that it helps to have a diverse portfolio of kind of these late round guys and just take ones that, again, if they kind of project pretty similarly, if you can get one in the, you know, 18th round versus one in the 10th round, okay, well, then take the guy in the 18th round because chances are they're probably going to end up with the same stats at the end of the day. Yeah, again, I am so sorry to all those Chris Herndon, Jay Sternberger, Blake Jarwin, uh, trio tight end best ball teams I had last year. Again, I am sorry. I am sorry to all your rosters. But yeah, look, Irv, number three, maybe even the number four pass game option, depending on Dalvin Cook, still in a run first offense. I'm with you. Certainly someone that we should feel fine in late rounds, but someone that if we see creep up, kind of like a Tyler Higby last year, probably not someone to necessarily splurge on and think you're too far ahead of the market. Uh, next up, we had the Ravens tender. Gus Edwards seems like a situation where he will be brought back Mark Ingram's out of the picture but Dobbins Edwards man maybe even you know the Justice Hill of the world uh, could be making a committee Andrew do you think the disparity in ADP is too high between Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins right now probably yeah I think it probably is look people just want to announce you know get J.K. Dobbins into that RB1 role and and pronounce him the RB1 but I I just don't think that's going to happen I think it's going to be really hard for him to become an RB1 this year again he's splitting carries with Gus Edwards he can't, he's not going to see a lot of work as a receiver. And I mean, Gus Edwards has been efficient when he's run the ball. Like it's not one of these things where Gus Edwards is a plotter and he's coming in and just being terrible with the ball. He's, you know, averaging under three and a half yards per carry. I mean, since the start of 2018, Edwards is fifth in PFF rushing grade and fifth in guards per attempt at 5.1. So again, like the guy is good. So it's not like, Oh, like why are they giving the ball to Gus Edwards? Like, okay. He just like ripped off like a 30 yard <laughs> run. Like what do you want them to do? So that's just one thing you got to keep in mind. Like it isn't like, you're not, it's not like a even like a Pollard Zeke thing where it's like Pollard's looked better than Zeke, but Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins, you could argue they've looked pretty similar to each other, like six yards to carry, five yards to carry. Like they're both really, really good. So again, just temper expectations. I think a little bit with Dobbins, don't go out of control with trying to get him because there are a lot of running backs that have I think a higher chance of volume and don't necessarily fall in love with six yards to carry because again, you know, one ten attempts, eleven attempts, it just doesn't really add up as much as, as much as you'd think it does. Yeah, Gus Edwards about to total like 1,200 total yards, 10 touchdowns, and enter 2022 with like the RB46 <laughs> ADP. The guy just can't get any respect. And yeah, J.K. Dobbins is freaking amazing. I mean, since yeah. 2010, minimum 100 carries. We had 2010 Jamal Charles, 2017 Alvin Kamara, 2012 Adrian Peterson, 2012 C.J. Spiller, throwback there, and 2020 J.K. Dobbins as the only guys to average at least six yards per carry in a single season. But I think the one thing you said uh, that made the most sense in that kind of spiel was – Lamar isn't throwing his running backs. You wrote a good article after uh, last season about just dual threat quarterbacks. And yes, having those wider rushing lanes, there's a reason why Gus and Dobbins and Ingram in 2019 are averaging so many yards per carry. A lot of that is the Lamar Jackson effect. 
But also Lamar Jackson effect is him getting, you know, upwards of 150 carries on his own, not throwing the targets in the running back. So even though, you know, we have Dobbins averaging six yards per carry, or maybe he's at 4.9 somewhere else, you know, the lack of, you know, an extra six or seven touches is enough to kind of throw that off in fantasy land. So yeah, Dobbins, RB2 season, probably not RB1 for now, everybody, as much as this Columbus, Ohio lifer would like that to be different. Uh, Andrew, quick note on the lines. They signed Tyrell Williams. Do you care? I mean, if he's available in the 18th round of best ball, I think that he's probably a good pick there. Kevin Cole did it in our one of our latest drafts, and honestly, it's a good pick there. It's a value pick. I mean, they may add a pass catcher in the draft, but right now, looks like Tyrell Williams is probably going to be the number one receiver there on a pretty bad offense, or a pretty just bad offense, bad team overall, but they're going to have to throw the ball eventually, and if he's literally free, like, it makes a lot of sense to you know, go after him. But again, I think that in regular leagues, you're not going to go you know, crazy. Again, he hasn't caught more than 50 passes since 2016. So, again, don't get, don't blow the load on Tyra Williams. <laughs> but, I mean, if he's there in the last round, I mean, he's going to be on the field. He's a fish in his helmet, man. I mean, before, he was the only guy from uh, 2018, 20, uh, 2017, 2018, 2019 to average at least 10 yards per target in all three of those seasons. Tyreek Hill and Mike Williams were able to get two. But, hey, he could be their number one. It was a good, good pick by uh, Kevin Cole there. Yeah. Right now, people, again, recording this on a Sunday, the Lions wide receiver room, Jeronimo Allison, Quintez Cephas, Victor Bolden, Tom Kennedy, and Tyrell Williams. You know, if your eyes aren't bleeding, like, you know, open them up, go get a best ball draft and try to get Tyrell in the very last round. You know, Jameson Crowder was someone that, you know, we were doing that with over the past, not so much last year, but the year before where, you know, sometimes you look at these depth charts and it's like, even though I don't love that guy, uh, I might love his volume on an otherwise terrible team and just a little better than some of the other options around that range. Andrew, the Buccaneers have extended Tom Brady. Could he be better in 2021? Because on the one hand, his touchdown rate will probably regress because it's hard to be that good again. But it's just incredible to me that this dude was playing such turnover-free football in his first year in Bruce Arians' offense. Like, man, unless Father Time like finally decides to do something about this dude's arm, it's going to be another elite offense. I think that's exactly it. It's really just... If his body doesn't turn on him, then I don't see how it's not better in 2021, you know, second year in the system. We see this all the time with quarterbacks, second year in the system. That's why I think that people shouldn't just be out on Cam Newton altogether because, look, he's going to get a chance to be the second year in the system with the Patriots. Same thing with Tom Brady, like second year in the system with Bruce Arians. Again, they had their problems early on to start the year. There was tons of problems. Then they got Antonio Brown, and then they do this and that. So I think that there's a lot of things that could still go well. I mean, I think that last year is probably, like, at worst, what they're going to be again. Like, I don't really envision them falling off a cliff unless it's Tom Brady. It's just like, oh, my God, like, my arm doesn't work anymore. Like, what's happening? Or or injuries or something like that happens to, you know, key pieces. Again, the offensive line, I think, is really important because we saw at times when one guy would miss, or just like everything would just fall apart. Like basically all the Saints games were like that, just absolute disasters because, oh, Ali Marpet's out. Okay, well, now we can't block literally anybody and, and Brady just kind of collapsed. So I think that's two things to kind of keep in mind. But if everything is kind of full systems go and set up the same way, I can't see how they're not at least as just as good as they were last year. Yeah, pretty wild that, you know, the bucket. Look, Brady played some fantastic ball for 
long stretches of that, you know, playoff uh, run they had. But, I mean, Washington game, eh, Saints game, up and down a little bit. Amazing in the first half of the Packers, and then certainly efficient enough in the Super Bowl. But, yeah, certainly more of a, uh, you know, team win and kind of team effort than I think some of the national media probably painted it out to be when it was all said and done. Speaking of offensive line issues, the Chiefs have released their left tackle Eric Fisher and their right tackle Mitchell, Mitchell Schwartz. If you tune in to the, uh, you know, PFF 32 for 32 series on this podcast, you heard Soren Petro predict this before it even happened so great job by Soren but Andrew it doesn't look great I'm not too pessimistic just because apparently they consider their 2020 third round pick uh, Lucas Neong basically a first rounder if he had been more healthy Mm -hmm. and there's also a chance they can go out there and get Trent Williams obviously we want them to have a good offensive line are you at least confident that the Chiefs are going to attempt to refill this offensive line unlike say the Seahawks have over the years I would really hope so that they don't decide, hey, you know, we finally got our quarterback and we're just going to get rid of all the offensive linemen and just hope that the Super Bowl is a repeat thing that just keeps on happening. But maybe it's just an indication that, okay, hey, we need to figure out the best way to allocate spend. You know, you mentioned Trent Williams. That makes a lot of sense for them to try to bring that guy in again. Trent Williams would obviously have an opportunity to win a Super Bowl, which I'm sure that's something that he would probably consider. So I think that it makes a lot of sense. You know, the drafting in this class, it now kind of indicates, hey, we're not going to take a running back with our first round pick. We're probably going to take a tackle. Maybe you should have done that last year, taking a <laughs> cornerback, like something like that. But again, I think that the Chiefs learned a lesson last year. I think that they took Edwards Hilaire thinking they had a luxury pick. They're like, oh, like, you know, we're, we can't be beat. Like, we're so good. Something like that. And I think that ultimately kind of burned them in the end because it probably would have been helpful if they had a, you know, a first round left tackle rather than Clyde Edwards Hilaire in the game. So I, I think that makes sense. And maybe they're kind of trying to. Again, this is obviously kind of a wild thought, but maybe try to be a little bit more balanced on offense, making it so that they don't necessarily have to have Mahomes drop back as many times trying to keep him healthy again. Maybe these tackles really don't fit that type of scheme where it's like, all right, let's try to get away with it. We do have Edward Taylor. Like, let's try to use him. I mean, we did draft him. So maybe it also indicates where we want to get the ball out of his hands quicker, Mahomes' hands. And use Edward Slayer more in the passing game, which I think they didn't, they barely use him in screens a lot, which I didn't really understand. Yeah, and I mean, as bad as that, you know, tw- as bad as a 22-point loss is in the Super Bowl, it is wild to think about that. You know, Mahomes, in the midst of all his scrambling around, he hit Tyreek Hill in the hands in the end zone, and he had that absolutely absurd, you know, horizontal throw that I think it was Demarcus <laughs> Robinson or might have been Byron Pringle, managed to somehow get through and hit that dude in the helmet as well. So even with, you know, the worst version of the Chiefs offense we've ever seen, arguably two plays away from making that the usual one-score game that we used to see Mahomes participating in. Uh, the Cardinals went ahead and sign J.J. Watt. I'm a little torn on this, Andrew. On the one hand, I understand you don't want to piss off like the franchise, just the number one player in your franchise's history pretty much in J.J. Watt. But for the amount of interest that was seemingly out there for Watt, like what would have hurt about saying, hey, J.J., give us you know your three teams you want to go to. We'll try to get a late round pick for it. Like to get nothing out of this and just release them and then just say, oh, you know, like, come on, Texans, you guys haven't made a good personnel move in freaking years. Don't tell me now this is all class when we got Andre Johnson, Aaron Foster, every guy that's ever been worth a damn in the franchise is chewing them out. You know, I feel like to me, it's them kind of chasing public relations uh, with J.J. Watt, which, you know, again, you don't want to piss them off, but for a franchise that, again, hasn't been doing much right over the years, I'm not giving them the benefit of the doubt here. Did you like the way that the Texans handled this? And what are your thoughts on J.J. Watt and Chandler Jones now? forming a much better Arizona defense, we would suspect. 
from a public standpoint, I guess it makes sense why they did the move to stay in good graces with J.J. Watt to let him get the opportunity to play for whichever team he wanted to. I mean, I was disappointed they didn't land with the Steelers. Could have been, you know, that Subway thing. It would have been absolutely fantastic <laughs> with him and the other Watt brothers. But ultimately, he signed with the Arizona Cardinals. I think it's a good fit there with him. I think that, it, you know, being alongside another pass rusher like Chandler Jones makes a lot of sense. I know that we've looked at a lot of the PFF metrics, and it looks like we, at least what we, from what we've seen, is Watt actually has been better inside, like rushing from the interior lately in his career rather than being on the edge. I think that helps a lot, kind of putting him into place to succeed. And again, Arizona is a up, you know, an up-and-coming team. Again, they flashed last year before Murray got hurt, and I think they can be... And DeAndre Hopkins is there, too. So he's familiar with someone there, so I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm sure Hopkins, and he had a discussion before he landed there, be like, hey, man, this is total opposite of Houston. <laughs> like, you're going to love it here. Like, just... Everything that Houston doesn't have, Arizona has. So, like, you're going to love it here. Make sure you join. But, yeah, I mean, it would make sense that they try to get a draft pick for him. But at the same time, I mean, Houston's just, they're doing, they're they're operating in parts unknown right now where they're just <laughs> doing things that don't make sense at all. I mean, they're, they've made some draft picks or some trades already today trying to get some draft picks and, and moving players. So, um, yeah, they got the work cut out for them for sure. Go join your friends, Will Fuller. Come on, band's getting back together in Arizona. Why not? Maybe, maybe even Deshaun if uh, Kyler doesn't step up. I don't want that from Kyler. I still believe in him. But funny stuff with uh, Houston. You know, Houston, even more Southwest going on there. Last thing before we get into our free agent preview real quick. The Eagles released Deshaun Jackson. They will be releasing Alshon Jeffrey once the new league year begins. Andrew, it's looking like Jalen Rager and Dallas Goddard, assuming these Zach Ertz, uh, you know, trade rumors uh, come to fruition. Rager and Dallas Goddard emerging as the top two options in this passing game how do you feel about both ahead of 2021 yeah i think that those guys are both in really good shape you know we talked about jalen hurts and about his upside going into next year and where he's kind of going in drafts where he's going a little bit higher than you probably like rager and, and dallas goddard are still going very very late relatively speaking to the other positions especially rager i think you can get him basically free you know in the 14 15 round of a lot of best ball drafts and i think that rager kind of was put into a bad situation last year. I like Rager a lot more than another, you know, rookie that disappointed, you know, Henry Ruggs. I think that Rager has a better shot of, of bouncing back than Ruggs does. Just in looking at the offensive way it's set up, you know, Rager didn't have an environment around him, you know, that was able for him to succeed in. You know, Derek Carr was one of the best deep ball passers last year, and yet Henry Ruggs wasn't able to break out. So that's just like one thing that I just look at kind of like, big scope and I get kind of concerned like wait Ruggs wasn't good and in fact Derek Carr was like one of the best deep ball passers in the game last year so I think that's just concerning whereas last year the Eagles couldn't do anything on offense like nobody in that offense would have been good Justin Jefferson arguably wouldn't have been good in that offense last year so I, th I think that's just one kind of way to look at it and stylistically I think that Rager fits well with Hertz who's aggressive downfield Rager led the team in target share during the all the Hertz starts so I think that Rager's a guy that even if they draft a receiver, I think that Rager may end up being a better like number two guy anyway. So I think I kind of like him even if they do invest and do it like a Jamar Chase or take someone at the top of the second round, another wide receiver. So I do like Rager a lot. And I do like D Dallas Goddard a lot. I think Zachary's is on his way out. I mean, Dallas Goddard, we've seen put up tight end one numbers and entering, I believe, is his fourth season in the league. Like, this is the time where we see these Titans actually start to, like, turn things around and be legitimate uh, fantasy playmakers. 
Yeah, look, if you got a fish in one of these dynasty leagues that has Dallas Goddard and does not realize that the breakout is about to happen, <laughs> once Ertz gets traded, go get him now, people, because that window is about to slam shut. But yeah, I'm not giving up on Jalen Rager yet, particularly with this potential target share coming in year two. I mean, the guy started off the year pretty well. He tears a ligament in his thumb. He misses five games, and he comes back to the atrocity that was the Philadelphia Eagles offense that we saw week in and week out. And then he started having a quarterback switch. So I don't know, man. I never tore a ligament in my thumb but i'm guessing when your job is to catch passes and try to use your hands consistently that's probably a problem so rager you know he did impress you know with his few opportunities with the ball in his hands he had a nice punt return touchdown uh against the packers another nice return against the cowboys at one point so i like what i saw from him with the ball in his hands hopefully a more stable situation brings out the best of him moving forward andrew that was our kind of February to present, catching up. I'm happy we did that. Happy we got through those moves and uh, check out the fantasy value. With that said, we're now looking ahead to free agency. So I hope Aaron Jones wasn't one of your uh, dream spot <laughs> predictions. Uh, I did have Aaron Jones to the Seahawks written down uh, as mine. So I'll have to think on the fly with that. But what we're going to do is go through. Andrew and I will each be giving out uh, QB, running back, wide receiver, and tight end with our most fancy friendly themed wish list location. So Andrew, why don't you start things off with quarterback? For me, it's got to be Ryan Fitzpatrick to the Denver Broncos. And this is coming from someone that has basically drafted every bit of Colton Sutton, Jerry Judy, Noah Fant, Philip Lindsay, just all these Broncos skill players and taking some stabs on Drew Locke late in drafts and, and best ball. But I've always kind of been uncomfortable with taking Drew Locke just because I don't know how locked and loaded he is as the starter there. Again, it looks like he's going to be the guy, but the Broncos coaching staff and their head coach Vic Fangio has talked about how they want to add in competition for Drew Locke, and that's never really a good sign. And the one guy that always seems to come in as a, hey, we're not going to start him, but you know, if he plays, he'll be okay. Ryan Fitzpatrick is that guy. Like He just comes in. He balls out, especially when he has legitimate weapons. Like everywhere he's gone, when he's had weapons, whether it was in Tampa Bay, whether it was with the New York Jets with Brandon Marshall, like and Eric Decker, just the dude will always thrive in those types of situations. And he's an aggressive passer. You know, he led the NFL in terms of, you know, tight window throw percentage last season. And this Pat Shermer offense is all about vertical throws. Like that's why Daniel Jones was such a fantasy phenom his rookie year because it was pat Shermer that was actually calling the offense and making like hey daniel jones like either chuck the ball like 40 yards downfield or run like and, th and that's kind of the thing that was actually missing from drew Locke's game drew Locke just wasn't running as much as daniel jones was as a rookie so i think that if Locke actually had like mobility i think that we would i think ian i think if drew lock actually was just more mobile i think that would kind of change the narrative around him on a bit so hopefully he's been working out hopefully he's been doing some leg day um over the past couple weeks so ryan fitzpatrick is definitely my pick there with him sutton Judy, all those guys there, Hamler. I think that Ryan Fitzpatrick would be fantastic in Denver. You Drew Locke haters are just unbelievable. <laughs> he is mobile. He just chooses to pass first because he's a quarterback. Now we're praising these other guys for taking off too quickly. Meanwhile, Drew Locke's trying to go through his progressions. But uh, no, nah, I, I agree with that. The Broncos and the Panthers, in my opinion, are the two teams where if we can drop a legit, you know, above average quarterback like Ryan Fitzpatrick into that offense, I mean, the stock of every single person involved is going up. So personally, as the Drew Locke stand that I have become, I do not want Ryan Fitzpatrick to go there and take Drew's 
job. I want him to try to get another chance to seize it on his own. But yes, that would be a hell of a situation for Fitzpatrick to extend his career into. I'm going to go with Jameis Winston to the Panthers, slowly building up his NFC South revenge tour. He'll, you know, end up going to the Falcons in a couple years after Matt Ryan retires or something like that. Get him on every single one of those teams. But look, Curtis Samuel, maybe they find a way to bring him back. And even if not, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, maybe he gets Ian Thomas going again, McCaffrey, just one weapon after another inside Joe Brady's offense, which, you know, looked fantastic last year just in terms of scheme-wise. Like, Teddy just could not really make the throws that they needed him to. Let's get Jameis in there. The court, the defense probably isn't going to be any better. We'll be looking at, you know, the closest thing I think we can find is that 2019 Buccaneers team when Jameis and all those guys were just putting up points after, you know, one game after another. I just can't, you know, overstate how much fun Jameis was in that year, in that season. Fourth and big time throws with 30, dead last in turnover worthy plays at 39. I love the Jameis Winston roller coaster, and I really hope it comes back to us in 2021. Andrew, running back position. Aaron Jones is off the board. What's your next uh, favorite potential destination? I guess it's kind of boring. I, I did mention a little bit earlier. So James White to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but it may, it just makes so much sense. Yeah. Like Tom Brady is That's there. That's a dream one. They... You, can, you can make one happen. It's James White <laughs> to the Buccaneers. Hey, man, someone's got to do it. <laughs> so James White makes too much sense going to Tampa Bay. He is just a prototypical pass catching back. They need one. I mean – Ronald Jones, like, I fell into this trap because Ronald Jones' efficiency as a pass catcher in 2019 was actually pretty decent. Like, across the board, his, like, his PFF grade was good, his yards per route run was good, and it looked like he had kind of taken a step forward in terms of his pass catching ability, and it just totally tanked this past season. It was just, like, dead last in, like, almost every single metric I could look at. I think he was actually second to last out of over 100 qualifying running backs in terms of PFF receiving grade, and Leonard Fournette was really not that far off from Ronald Jones in terms of, you know, not being a very proficient uh, running back in terms of catching passes. So James White, he's got the connection with Tom Brady. It makes so much sense to pair that. They want to, I don't think we're ever going to see necessarily a true bell cow type of back with Tampa Bay just because of the way that they kind of function there. So I'll, I'll go with James White to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I give you a platform for your dream fit, and you give me James White and the Buccaneers, <laughs> the one, like, just most obvious free agent destination, regardless of position. My, my, Andrew. All right, I got Mike Davis reuniting with the Seattle Seahawks as my favorite. Mike Davis was someone, you know, I did PFF Fantasy Awards at the end of the year, and I gave him the, uh, you know, most improved fantasy player, just what he had done, which was nothing in 2019, and going on and being a legit, not only serviceable, but legit good three-down back with the Carolina Panthers. I mean, only Nick Chubb had a higher rate of bro broken tackles per touch than Mike Davis among 65 qualified players last season. The dude is shifty as all hell, and, you know, he's also able to catch the ball, so we just haven't seen a team, other than the Panthers, once McCaffrey got hurt, really give him that three-down role, which I think he has earned over the years. So, obviously, the Seahawks want to get back to running the ball, probably don't want to devote a ton of resources to do it. So, I think Davis going to Seattle, replacing Chris Carson, could actually get that opportunity to get 20-plus touches per game, and then that offense with Russ orchestrating everything, I think he could again flirt with that RB1 status in Fantasyland. And just because I hate your James White call so much, I'm going to go with another one real quick. And that is Kenyon Drake to the Atlanta Falcons. Now, I know everyone still has a terrible taste in their mouth from Drake, but if there's one spot he could go that we could get back behind him in Fantasyland, it might be a homecoming because he is he was born in Georgia, back to the Falcons because they don't have much cap room at all. But Gurley's gone, Brian Hill's gone. Again, hometown discount. Let's get Drake back there. 
there and see what Arthur Smith can do with another, you know, running back and hopefully give Drake the 300 plus touches that we'd always envisioned. Yeah, you know, I'm sure I know Kenyon Drake in 2018, 2019, we were talking a lot better about him than in 2020, but I'm willing to give him another, uh, you know, chance, particularly if he is in a situation as cozy as the Falcons. Andrew, give me your wide receiver and, you know, tell me it's not like Brashad Perryman back to the Jets or something. No, 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 no. This one's, I think this one's a little bit better, but so I'm going to go with Corey Davis to the Arizona Cardinals. So I think the Cardinals are a very popular landing spot for a lot of wide receivers. I think it makes a lot of sense just because, you know, Christian Kirk has really yet to fire as the number two receiver there. They added DeAndre Hopkins last year and they're just right for a number two wide receiver to be added into the team. And it makes sense systematically. Corey Davis can play on the outside. You know, DeAndre Hopkins plays on the outside. That means they can move Christian Kirk back into the slot, which is where he's basically been way better during his career. It's where he was better in college. And really, he hasn't really had the opportunity to play there that often in his career. So I think it makes everything else better. And the one big thing with Kyler Murray that he's kind of struggled with so far, and this is kind of looking at through the... PFF's QB annual has basically been the intermediate level. So between 10 and 19 yards down the field has kind of been Kyler Murray's bugaboo during the first two years of his career. He's been pretty good throwing deep. He's been pretty good, you know, under nine yards, but it's really been the intermediate level that he's kind of struggled. He did improve a little bit here in his second year, but Corey Davis was actually one of the highest graded receivers in that intermediate type of field. So again, it is a little bit different. Definitely not as sexy as the Will Fuller guy, but at the same time, we have to keep in mind, like, Will Fuller is definitely not nearly as dependable, you know, on a week-to-week basis as a guy like Corey Davis. And maybe you don't necessarily need the flash from Will Fuller when you have other players. And you have, I mean, you have Kyler Murray. He kind of like, kind of has all the flash kind of already baked in. So I think Corey Davis as a number two playing alongside an alpha wide receiver like Hopkins makes so much sense for him for, for him to continue to be really efficient. As we saw last year, you know, he was one of the highest in terms of yards per route run last year. So Corey Davis to the Arizona Cardinals, I think that, Many people aren't going to like love the the landing spot, but I think for me, I think that makes him a really intriguing option in fantasy and in for the, the real NFL. Yeah, Davis had one of the most like just low, unless you're really, you know, in the fantasy, probably didn't realize just how good he was last year. Literally, if you just go blind test looking at efficiency metrics, Corey Davis and Julio Jones were basically the same player last year. Yards per out run, receiving grade, yards per catch. No, everyone, I am not saying Corey Davis is better than Julio Jones this year or ever, but, you know, we can give the guy some credit for having a hell of a 2020. And yeah, Corey Davis is a high-end wide receiver too. That's great. He's not going to be the guy we probably thought he was when he was drafted number five overall pick. So anyone's idea of a very good wide receiver at worst. My dream wide receiver fit is Curtis Samuel to the Green Bay Packers. It's a move that's probably not going to happen because we never see the Packers spend in free agency. They're only just going to give Aaron Jones $48 million, I guess. You know, who knows how much that's guaranteed. But alas, I mean, with Curtis, just give him the prime Randall Cobb role and call it a day. Get him some snaps in the backfield, send him deep, put him in the slot, make easy opportunities. I'm convinced Curtis Samuel can do absolutely anything you want a player to do. Seriously, people, 2019 with league average quarterback play, not whatever the hell Kyle Allen was, Curtis Samuel goes for 1,500 yards with the amount of deep shots that he was open on and just got missed. So 2020, we saw, you know, the more fancy-friendly role in the slot, getting a bunch of carries, just shorter, uh, you know, more yak-friendly targets, and he was fine with that too. You know why? Because Curtis Samuel can do anything you want him to do on the football field. Still just 24 years old. I would love to see someone invest in him, treat him as the high-end wide receiver two option that he truly should be get him some RB snaps, get him a real quarterback, let the rest come to fruition, man. All in on Curtis Samuel and Dynasty. Cannot rank the guy high enough for me. Andrew, tight end. Let's finish things off with a bang. 
All right. Well, in my defense, I did have Curtis Samuel as my running back, and my dream spot for him was the Jacksonville Jaguars because I want to see him in the backfield with LaVisca Chanel at the same time. You, 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 have, you have made up for the James White atrocity. <laughs> in that, that, in that Urban Meyer offense with Samuel, Chenault, Trevor Lawrence, that'd be so much fun. Or, honestly, I think that Curtis Samuel, if the Patriots shell out money with him and Cam Newton again reunited, I mean, if they would use Curtis Samuel, you can say knock about the Patriots you want, but they would give him like 10 to 15 judges a game. Okay, sure. hold on. Curtis Samuel, LaVisca Chenault. We'll have my guy Cordero Patterson get on a flight to Jacksonville. <laughs> we'll draft. Uh, uh, is it Monty Rogers? Was he the Was he the Clemson guy lining up in the I backfield? I think so. Yeah. Positionless football, Jacksonville Jaguars yeah. edition. Brought to you by Curtis Samuel and Company. <laughs> All right. So for tight end, I'm going to go with someone that's been not really talked about a lot. Again, with the tight end position in terms of free agents, because Hunter Henry and John Smith are kind of the top two guys, but. Gerald Everett kind of seems to be a bit of a forgotten name, but he's a super athletic tight end, and he's got a chance to be a number one tight end on any offense. And I think that the Seattle Seahawks are going to be a team that potentially acquire his types of services. So the team brought in offensive coordinator Shane Waldron, who recently spent his last four years with the Los Angeles Rams, first in 2017 as the team's tight end coach, which is the year that Gerald Everett was drafted in the last three years as the passing game coordinator. Seattle has a needed tight end position. Jacob Hollister is a free agent. Greg Olson retired. And look, sometimes all you need is just a little bit of an opportunity and a really efficient quarterback. And that's basically what you have there with Gerald Everett. You know, they don't have anyone besides Lockett and DK Metcalf. They have these other fringy guys. David Moore, I believe, is also a free agent. And, you know, Freddie Swain, I think, is the other guy's name. So not a ton of guys behind the top two players. And as we've seen, Tyler Lockett, he falls off, like, seemingly every single... The second half of the year, you know, he starts out the year on fire. And we're like, oh, my God, Tyler Lockett is so good. And then we're like, why is this guy going so late in fantasy drafts the next year? It's because he just has these second half, you know, fall-offs where he just kind of falls off, whether it's because of injury or this and that. But... He, it's a little bit, it's hard for me and the team at least to look at and say, okay, Tyler Lockett, he's going to be locked in for all 16 weeks. That's not really been the case with him so far. So I think that adding another dynamic player like a Gerald Everett makes a lot of sense. And I think that he could be really sneaky in terms of fantasy football. I know I've been drafting him a lot in best ball, just hoping that his landing spot is going to be better because I think that right now, again, he's viewed as just a tight end two on the Rams, but I think that he's going to get a shot to be a starting tight end somewhere. And I think that Seattle makes a lot of sense just because of the coach connection and the fact that, hey, they need another pass catcher and a, a tight end. Tyler Lockett had 100 catches for 1,054 yards and 10 touchdowns last year, and I feel like the fantasy community hates him more than freaking <laughs> ever. And I, I know. I know why the big games followed by tons of just little games, but it, it, it is funny to put up those kind of numbers and have the reputation that Lockett does at this point in time. Yeah, I've, I've maintained Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson, man. If we could ever get either of these guys an above-average tight end that just not is, isn't losing a bunch of reps to someone else, 10 touchdowns year in and year out. Love that potential spot. I'm going with Jonu Smith to the Buffalo Bills from a pure target standpoint. You know, maybe not the best case. You could argue Jacksonville or something like that maybe there. But I just think in terms of what we've seen Buffalo do, like no team, Buffalo and honestly Tennessee, like they have the most random tight end scoring on the goal line. You're seeing these tackle eligible passes. But a lot of it is just well-schemed. And Dawson Knox is like almost like a poor man's uh, Jonu in terms of like you'll see him actually make some really athletic plays. Great yak player, you know, almost a uh, just really impact blocker 
linebacker at times as well. Like John, can just be Dawson Knox on steroids at this point. And I think uh, just the chance to see him get those yak opportunities, you know, that we've seen Buffalo give Isaiah McKenzie and stuff. Like you can just give Johnny Smith the ball literally in the backfield and good things are going to happen with this. So I just really trust, uh, you know, Brian uh, Dable and just that Bill's offense to really put Johnny in the best position to succeed. And even if I want to be giving him the triple digit targets that we would like, I think John is good enough to make the absolute most out of, you know, 60 to 80 targets pretty much as he has done his entire NFL career. So Andrew, I like, you know, again, almost all of your picks except one. Uh, hopefully you all out there agreed enough with mine. Make sure you, uh, you know, you can check, check out my Twitter at iHeart. It's where I have positional previews for quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end ahead of this week. Andrews have plenty of great information over at Andrew Erickson underscore as well. Andrew, we've concluded the podcast, man. I hope everyone's uh, caught up. What do you have uh, on the agenda ahead of this hectic week? Well, dude, we first we got more breaking news. So Drew oh, Brees has officially announced his retirement. So okay. he is officially well, done. I was expected. Thank you for the great career, Drew. You're probably underrated, I guess. That's probably all I got. Underrated. <laughs> all right, so Alvin Kamara, where is he going to finish then? Assuming Jameis Winston is the quarterback. Let's just let's get the takes out. Because Brees is gone now. We don't have to consider him anymore. I think Kamara is like RB10. Really? Yeah, I think he's being drafted too high. Like, he's great, but, bro, if we take away his targets, if we just put him into, like, what he have at Taysom Hill, he can still score touchdowns. He's going to be the lead back of a very good offense. But, you know, the targets are what the cheat code is. Like, you look at Kamara's just receiving production compared to every single other running back last year, and he was a good 50, 60 PPR points ahead just on that alone. So, it's you know, Adam Kamara, he's one of the best running backs in the league, no questions asked. He does not have one of the best roles in the league, though, in fantasy land. If we take away the guy that wants to do nothing else other than check the, check down the ball to him, you know, 10-plus times a game. So, you know, we love screaming about regression. Well, Kamara's touchdowns are probably going to regress a little bit from what we saw last season as well. So, Kamara... Low-end RB1 for me, and I think he's being overdrafted right now. What about you, Andrew? I think that makes a lot of sense. I think I had him right now in the best ball ranks I had. I think I had him at four, but kind of thinking about it a little bit more, I think it makes sense probably to end up moving him down because, look, even if Jameis Winston's the starter, I got to imagine they're still going to have Taysom Hill packages and potentially have more Taysom Hill packages because James Winston's not Drew Brees and the fact that they want to see Taysom Hill more and they paid him, so they just still want to use him and – and even Jameis Winston, you know, he is just more likely to throw the ball downfield and probably check it down to Alvin Kamara just because he has the able arm to do so. And, I mean, unless his vision has just totally changed, he can only see, like, hey, I can only see 10 yards downfield and I only see Alvin Kamara. <laughs> and then I think that he's going to still try to chuck it. And I think that – I think it's probably smart to – you want to be over-invested in Michael Thomas and probably under-invested in Alvin Kamara. I think that's probably the move. I think that you could end, probably end up seeing them – finish similar or finish similarly in terms of total fantasy points. But again, it's okay. Michael Thomas in the third round versus Alvin Kamara in the first round, they both end up, you know, probably offering like second round value or something like that. And ultimately like Thomas is going to be the one that you're going to want because he's going to be the value in the third round. So I think that makes sense. We're not going to see Michael Thomas have, you know, like a short, slot receiver catch rate anymore but we're also going to see him getting actual downfield passes assuming Jameis is under center so that is exciting for him should certainly still be going among the top six top eight wide receivers real quickly to be a little bit nicer to Breeze than I was in the moment PFF <laughs> highest graded quarterback since 2006 Tom Brady number one Aaron Rodgers number two Andrew Breeze number three I'm sure you can pull up you know the Saints points per game allowed during a lot of his years he was truly putting up insane numbers week in week out for a long long time and 
recently, if you look at the receivers he was thrown to, like, yeah, a lot of them end up having some nice careers and nice numbers. How much of that was because of Breeze? I am guessing a hell of a lot. So, Drew, thanks for the career. Thanks for the fun times and enjoy retirement. I think on NBC, he already got that uh, deal hooked up. So kudos to Breeze on making uh, even more money in the future. Andrew, we're going to wrap things up before we get any more breaking news uh, and just, you know, go on like it's a 24-hour relay. Tune back in, everyone. We'll be back on Wednesday wrapping up what will surely be a hectic couple first days of free agency. And then we will be back uh, late afternoon, Thursday or Friday morning, really wrapping up the rest of everything. So he's Andrew. I'm me, and this has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, Take care, everybody.